Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. It's Friday, December 10th. I'm Brian Peterangelo. And with me today, as always, we have a trio of our investing experts, George Mateo, our chief investment officer, Steve Haight, our head of equities, and Rajiv Sharma, head of fixed income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com, including articles from our Wealth Institute on many different topics, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a critical topic of the week. So really busy. Let's get into it right away with inflation. The print came out this morning, 0.8% month over month down one-tenth of a percent from the prior month, but the headline number for 12 months year-over-year, 6.8%, almost the highest has been on record since 1982. Some big numbers there, George. What do you think? Yeah, Brian, indeed it was. Um, you know, the headline, as you mentioned, kind of rising almost a full percent in the month alone, which again, as you noted, translates to a pretty strong year-over-year gain of close to 7%. Those are, those are really pretty heady numbers. And I would guess that those folks that were in the uh, transitory camp really are going to have to throw that label out the window. So I guess it seems to us, or at least seems to me that, you know, we're kind of going through this moment where inflation is beginning more inflation. And um, I think there are some temporary factors here that will probably kind of normalize themselves out. But at the same time, demand is heating up. Uh, people are getting ready for the holidays and probably want to spend a lot of uh, a lot of their money that they've been accumulating and saving for quite some time. So it does seem like it's going to persist a bit, a bit longer anyway to me. Steve, what are you thinking about inflation these days? I mean, I'm looking at the market reaction to the numbers this morning, George, and it seems like everything was in line with expectations. So even though inflation is ripping, uh, I think the market has gotten its arms around the idea that inflation is going to be persistent and somewhat higher than what we've been used to for a while. I mean, the bond market really is not uh, having a bad reaction to the number this morning with both the 10-year and the two-year only down a couple, actually down a couple of basis points. You'd think if inflation was going to be a problem, you'd see the long end of the yield curve responding by, by uh, having rates move much higher, and they're not. And equities are up a half a percent this morning. So uh, I think that, that the market has taken this in stride. And uh, the goal that the Fed had, which was to have inflation run hot for a while, uh, seems to have been achieved. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think the Fed uh, gets the go-ahead on this one. I think Fed has been behind the curve, and I think this print certainly gives them the, uh, I mean, it's, it's the highest print in four decades. So they have the the go-ahead to do the acceleration of the taper. So I, I do think that uh, next week's FOMC meeting, uh, this gives them all the catalysts they need to increase the pace of tapering. I thought it was kind of interesting that airfares, uh, airline fares actually were down quite a bit in the report, which it's a pretty small number in the overall um, scheme of things. But, you know, that kind of seemed to be somewhat counterintuitive to me. I'm not sure you guys have looked at travel anytime um, lately, but airfares down. That was that, that was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and the other thing that I've also noticed is like everybody's talking about tech with that kind of uh, CPI print. What do you think, Steve, about tech, uh, the sector itself with that kind of print? So. You know, technology tends to have a deflationary impact on things. Uh, their productivity enhancer 
And, you know, I think that what we are, are looking for there is that this, this trend will continue, that they'll continue to provide a, a deflationary impulse that helps to offset some of this inflationary pressure. But like when you look right now, what you see is the supply chain problems in the chips, uh, semiconductor chips in particular, continue to put upside pressure on price and it's causing delays all throughout the supply chain. So for example, we, we've talked recently about automobiles, right? So there are literally lots of automobiles that are just waiting for chips and uh, different types of boards to be put in it uh, in order to, to get to the finish line the, to be considered manufactured that it can actually be sold. Um, and they're still waiting. So it's a good, it's a good point. I think you've got uh, puts and takes with it though. Uh, puts and takes with it though, Rajiv. On that point though, I, I mean, could you see this kind of scenario play out, Steve or Rajiv that, you know, this year I, I read something that suggests that auto sales really have dropped quite a lot this year. I think they're down to like something like 13 million, you know, cars or something that are going to be uh, bought this year and that's down from like 18 the prior year i would think though that you know given some of those those issues you talked about steve like supply chain issues and chip shortages and whatnot could actually kind of create this another little boomlet with respect to demand coming back next year so maybe you know we we, we jump back to 18 million autos next year i mean doesn't this suggest that this is going to keep going for a while it's entirely possible that it could, George. I mean, your point is very well taken that we've seen a, a dip in unit volume there. I think in general, you know, when we think about it, 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 the sectors, industrials, consumer discretionary, it's been very clear that these are the two areas that while they benefit from this cyclical impulse that we've seen from economic strength, uh, they've been underperforming on a relative basis to other sectors of the market because they are directly impacted by these supply chain problems. So, you know, for our, as far as our thinking goes, uh, we, we still see these problems as, as being something that we're going to be dealing with well into 2022. And, and frankly, if not into 2023 for some of the supply chain problems. So, Rajiv, what does this mean for the Fed? I mean, the Fed, uh, as you mentioned, has kind of thrown the towel and now they're likely to start um, tapering and we could talk about what that means, but they're also thinking about maybe raising interest rates. I mean, when does the Fed have to get involved here? Uh, well, the Fed has definitely made that pivot that they're focused on inflation. Uh, the the employment picture, which which they were focused on for a very long time, they, they really did, are not focused on that right now. I think it's all about inflation. I think uh, the Fed accelerates their tape program and what they do is by doing that, they give them the optionality to to do something with rates next year earlier than expected. And I think we're gonna hear a lot next week on the FOMC meeting. I think that's gonna be very telling for all of us. And, and you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, the Fed has been on the sidelines for a very long time and now they're trying to catch up. They've been behind the curve. You know, it's, it's probably true. And at the same time, you know, you've got these, these job numbers keep getting better and better and better. Um, Although they kind of tell some mixed signals, right? Because I think the number of job openings now is is what it's a 11 million jobs are are unfilled right now, and yet there's still some four million people who are unemployed relative to where we were pre-pandemic. So how does the Fed square that circle? It's the highest ratio we've ever seen for that figure, George, in terms of openings versus unemployed. So well, that's a good segue into yeah. uh, into wage price inflation. So if we think about the employment cost index was north of four percent. There was a recent survey that came out that said that 
year-end increases for 2021 across major corporations in the U.S. would be about 3.9%. And you talked about the numbers for the employment figure, George. So collectively, gentlemen, what do you think about the overall stimulus into that from a wage price spiral effect? And what would we do about it from a Fed policy perspective? I'd have to ask Rajiv. I mean, I think that would suggest the Fed's going to have to get more aggressive sooner, right? I mean, if they really, if we do really see a, a wage price spiral that you talked about, Brian, where uh, wage increases are starting to really escalate, uh, I think the Fed would have to probably get more aggressive. I mean, right now we're, we're thinking what Rajiv two uh, two rate hikes next year. I mean, that would probably be the under if uh, if wages really get out of hand, right? Yeah, we're thinking two uh, two rate hikes next year, and where rates are right now, it's not really out of the realm of something that will, would be too aggressive. I think the Fed can actually become more aggressive, maybe do three rate hikes, but we're not calling for that. But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of room for the Fed to move, and that's why I think they want to end the tapering program as fast as they can, so they have that time gap and they can, you know, handle all these issues, whether it be employment or whether it be inflation. Uh, they'll have a lot of optionality if they if they end this thing in March. What about you, Steve? What are you seeing from the company's perspective? Are you are you seeing any kind of profit revisions or or companies trying to pull in guidance because of profit margins under some kind of pressure? Not I mean, just yet. this week, just this week, we got we got some interesting news from uh, one uh, one group of people up in upstate New York that they've now actually been able to unionize Starbucks, right? So people are starting to kind of come back and ask for more wage um, wage concessions and other things to try and advocate for for, for fair, fair labor. But you know, at the same time, that probably would put some pressure on companies at the, at the end of the day, right? Yeah, typically, though, we haven't seen profit margins come under pressure unless the economy starts to roll over. So, you know, I think that when you look at consensus numbers for 2022 and 2023, the margin compression that I've seen is only about 30 basis points. So that's clearly not a major a headwind, maybe a little bit because of this uh, a higher wage pressure for them and it has salary bills and what have you. But we're, but we're not seeing any major impact on, on corporate profit margin projections from, from the sell side or the buy side yet. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, my thing with inflation and this wage price situation is that if if human behavior changes, then we have a serious problem on our hands because that's what what you saw in the, in the 1970s. People started to pull their buying behavior because they knew that if they waited, they would have to pay more to get the car or to get the couch or what have you because price was going to be higher six months from now so they'd accelerate their purchasing behavior. You know, we've had distortions in the economy due to COVID, so I, I think it's hard to, to discern so much, right, some of these things right now. But I, I would tell you that if human behavior changes because of what we're seeing going on and people demand more wages and it causes an acceleration in, in, in terms of purchasing behavior, uh, the Fed's got a real problem on its hands because th it's not so easy that just two or three 25 basis point rate increases are going to fix it. I mean, think think about what Volcker had to do in, in 1980, in 1981, in order to break the back of inflation the last time. So I don't think that's our base case, George, but it's something really that I think uh, ourselves and the rest of the investment community really have to pay close attention to. I think you see that in the longer end of the curve, where there is this thought in the longer end of the curve that there could be a policy mistake. And that's why we're seeing rates in the longer end kind of anticipating a slowdown and or anticipating a uh, policy mistake by the Fed. 
Yeah, and you know, that's the big risk as we head into 2022 is that the Fed could make a policy mistake. And although I would argue that there's people out there who think that the Fed has already made a policy mistake by not being more aggressive right now. That's true. Behind the curve. Well, meanwhile, that's, those are good comparisons, but I went back and looked at some data from 1974 and, um, you know, interest rates were a lot, lot higher. I mean, today, the, uh, the Fed fund rate that we talked about is at zero. Effectively, back then, it was, I think, 10% or so. Long-term rates, as you mentioned, Rajiv, are still kind of around the 150 range or so. Long-term rates back then were 8%, so a, a significantly different environment. And perhaps even more notably is that, uh, to Steve's point, corporate profitability was, you know, it was really kind of in the tank back then. Corporate profits fell at your near, nearly 20%. This year, they're going to be up around 30%. So a completely different set of cards for sure. But as you pointed out, Steve, a lot to think about as we head to the next year. So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that we're in the third week of the discovery of the Omicron variant. And at the end of the day, it seems to have stabilized with the market relative to the news of being a little bit less severe than originally anticipated. And the market's reaction this week thus far, three positive days on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Yesterday was down a bit, but if today holds true after the CPI print, we'll have another positive day. So what are your thoughts on where we are on Omicron? You know, it seems like we're kind of... um processing it. Um, I think there's still a lot of different things. I'm sorry, a lot of information we just don't know. A lot of things we just don't know for sure around whether or not the vaccines are effective. We've had a little bit of news on that this week, but I'm not sure if there's anything definitive. So I think it's a bit too early to say for sure, but uh, it does seem like what we've kind of suggested might happen is that people are kind of taking this in stride a little bit more. They kind of recognize it. Perhaps um, you know, this is this, this is the new normal and, uh, and are kind of getting about their lives to some extent. You know, you've, you've seen some countries become more aggressive and more restrictive. So again, I, I would suggest it probably still involves a bit of a kind of a stagflationary effect too, in the sense that maybe you have a bit of a slowdown, kind of suppresses demand, but then maybe uh, once we get behind this, you might start to see, again, another wave of, of acceleration in terms of economic activity. So I think people have, I think you're right, I think people have kind of calm down. But I think at the same time, there's still a lot of things we just don't know. Right. Well, at some point in time, the volatility to Omicron may dissipate and the volatility relative to the Fed's policy decision next week may take the spotlight. So we'll have to see where that ends up. Last question for Steve. On the volatility side, we saw volatility spike in terms of the VIX from uh, under 20 for most of the second half of the year to up to about 28. And now it's back down. Any thoughts on the volatility from your perspective in the market? Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that it interested me in the last week is that we saw spot VIX, spot volatility trade to a premium over futures, uh, three-month futures volatility. And if you go back and take a look at the market since the bottom of the great financial crisis in 2009, every single time that happened, except for the COVID response in 2020, it turned out to be a buying period for equities. Basically, it marks a period of short-term panic. Um, and absent a really nefarious situation, um, it, it's shortly resolved itself with a, with a recovery back to the upside. And sure enough, that's exactly what we saw play out last uh, in the last week. So whether it was the Fed or whether it was Omicron or whether it was both, um, it seemed to give us a, a buying opportunity. And, and right in front of the traditional most seasonally bullish period of the year, the Santa Claus rally. So for us, um, it was a, a really marked a buying opportunity uh, here as we head into year end, Brian. 
Great. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, your portfolio strategist, or your advisor for more information. We'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are offered by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key ba- Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2021.